Well, amen. You may be seated. Let me first introduce myself. My name is Alan, and I'm one of the pastors here at Downtown Church. And let me invite you this morning, if you have your copy of God's Word, to find there in the very first book of the Bible, there in the very beginning, the book of Genesis in chapter number two. Genesis chapter number two. I love that we sang that song quickly becoming one of my favorite songs, Speak the Name of Jesus. There's something about the name of Jesus. There is incredible power in that name. The Bible tells us the demons tremble over that name. That name of Jesus is powerful. Amen? Let's just say his name. Say Jesus. Jesus. Amen. Uh, I think that when people look at social media and they see pictures of, of couples who, who seem to be happy, is that they think to themselves, you know, uh, that's what I want. You know, I wish I had that. I, I wish that I had that in my life. I wish that our marriage had that. I think that they often say, and maybe you've even said, you know, I, I wish I had that. But the truth is, we don't really know what that is. We don't really know what that is that makes a happy, healthy, holy marriage. So I really feel like the Lord has led us for this month, the month of March, is for us as we gather on Sunday mornings here at Downtown Church, is for us to walk through the scriptures and see what it looks like. In fact, over the next several weeks, we're going to look at the promises, the power, the pattern of a healthy happy marriage. And uh, in fact, it'll kind of culminate in our very last Sunday together in this teaching series called Relationship Goals, is that on Sunday, March 26, as we gather here that Sunday morning, a part of our worship gathering is that we'll actually have a vow renewal service. So when, when, um, you know, we, when we bought the steeple a few months ago, Prior to that, it was a concert venue and a wedding venue. In fact, I have conducted lots of weddings in this room over the last probably five or five years or so. And so, um, so you'll actually see it when you come in on the 26th. It'll be decorated like a wedding. And we'll actually have, give you an opportunity, regardless if you've been married a few years or maybe several decades, is that you'll actually have an opportunity to participate in a vow renewal service. In fact, ladies, you'll have an opportunity to walk the aisle and uh, you'll gather here up, uh, gather as a couple, and we'll, as a part of our worship experience that morning, we'll have a vow renewal service. So uh, you can't sign up today, but beginning this week, you'll see an opportunity on social media and on our webpage for you to sign up. It's free, but you're going to need to register to be a part of that. I've done this in the past, and not only have I had couples that have been married for many, many years participate, uh, lots of those couples said, you know what, um, we actually got married by the justice of the peace. We never had a church wedding. We've always wanted a church wedding, so we wanted to participate. And then I've actually had couples that were engaged. They get their marriage license, and on that day, that is the marriage ceremony, along with, you know, couple of hundred of their, their uh, best friends, right? And so it'll be a great, great uh, opportunity. And if you're interested, again, this week you'll learn more about that. Because 92% of Americans sometime in their life will get married. Now, statistically, the majority 
now, today, end in divorce. If you talk to the average couple and you say, hey, what's the, what's the secret? What's the secret to a good, lasting marriage? You'll hear things today like, you know, romance and, you know, connection and security. But the average couple today really doesn't know the key ingredients to a lasting marriage. What you and I are going to try to learn in these next few weeks is that God, and you know this, God is the creator. God created us. God created marriage. So God in his word actually teaches us, shows us these key ingredients. The key, the key ingredient, as we see in God's word, to a lasting, healthy, holy, happy marriage is covenant. It's a Bible word. It's a biblical word. Covenant marriage. In fact, in Genesis chapter 2, we see the first marriage, the first wedding, the first covenant marriage. In fact, it gives us a beautiful picture of what covenant marriage looks like. The average couple today, they enter in marriage like a contract and not a covenant. A contract, you know, the two have a connection. But in a covenant, the two become one. In a contract, the contract is based on feelings and, and opinions and ideas, but a covenant is based on commitment. Regardless of the circumstances, commitment. So we see this beautiful picture of covenant marriage in Genesis chapter 2. In the honor of the reading of God's word, let's just stand together. I'll begin reading in verse number 19. You follow along, Genesis chapter 2. Now out of the ground, the Lord God had formed every beast of the field, every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all the livestock, and to the birds of the heavens, and to the beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a found, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he was asleep, he took one of his ribs and he closed the um, he closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. And then the man said, this is at last bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Take your pencil, your pen, something you can write with. And I want to encourage you as we think this morning about covenant marriage, there are two or three things I want us to think about. The first, I want us to, to look together at the first marriage. The first marriage, the very first marriage in all of human history we read about. Now, we read uh, chapter 2, 19 and following, but really to kind of get a picture of the first marriage, you've got to back up. 
In fact, that very last verse of chapter number one, it says this. It says that after God created everything, I mean the stars, the sun, the moon, when he created the the heavens and the earth, when he formed up those mountains and he scooped out those oceans, when he created all the living beasts of the field, the birds of the earth, when he created everything, this is what it says. And the very last verse of chapter 1, it says that God declared that everything was very good. Not just good, but very good. But then a little time goes by, and God knows in his infinite wisdom that yes, it's very good, but for man, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. Now, um, that's what he says in verse number 18. Verse number 18 of, of, of chapter number 2, it basically says it's, it's not good for man to be alone. He, there, there's, a, there's something missing here. Now, you probably missed it, right? So he creates everything, all the beasts, all the animals, all the birds. It's all very good. He looks at Adam and he goes, he's thinking of Adam, man, you're incomplete. Verses 19 and 20, you may have missed it, to me are some of the funniest verses in all of the Bible. Because this is what God does. He he places Adam, and the Bible says he brings all of the animals, all of the animals, all of the beasts of the field, all of the birds in the air, and, and Adam has two assignments. Number one is to name them, all right? But number two, to see among the beasts, among the birds, is there a helpmate? No, no, no. In fact, it basically says at the end of that that verse that that basically God named, I mean, Adam names all the animals, but then he says, God, can't find one for me. Now, you have to kind of read between the lines here, but in essence, Adam says to God, didn't, I named them, but I didn't see one for me. So God, I, I need one, I need someone like me. Like me, but beautiful. Sensitive. Hey, sexy. Um... God, this is, this, you have to read between the lines here, right? But, God, but Adam basically says, hey, didn't, didn't see anything that sparked my interest among the animals. You know, I need somebody like me. I need somebody that looks like Taylor Swift, that cooks like Paula Dean, but is faithful and dedicated like Mother Teresa. To which God says, well, that'll cost you an arm and a leg. To which Adam says, what can I get for a rib? I mean, all of this you have to read in between the lines. And then what we have is we have the first marriage, because the Bible says that, that, that God causes Adam to go into a deep sleep. He takes the rib from his side. I like this, how he fashions the woman out of a rib, not as a portion of the, of the head, because she's not going to be the head of the relationship, but underneath his arm, under his care, and from his side as a partner in life 
And so what we read here is this first marriage. And I love the story. So there's, we not only read about the first marriage, but in verse number 21, when, he, when God conducts the first surgery, in verse number 21, we see the, and the rib that, uh, that, that the Lord God had taken from the man, he, he, he made into a woman, and he brought her to the man. I love that. This is the first account, by the way, in which you see the father gives away the bride. Well, you have the first marriage, but then you also have the first wedding. You have the first wedding beginning in verse uh, number 22 there and the rib, and then he presents her. Again, again, a picture of the father giving the bride away. So you not only have the first, uh, the first uh, surgery, the first marriage, the first wedding, right? The father of the bride gives, gives her away. Verse number 23, by the way, is a song. So you have the first wedding song ever here in verse number 23, and then in verse number 24, therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, shall hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So here's what you have in 22, 23, and 24. In verse number 22, you have this beautiful picture of the father giving the daughter away. In verse number 23, you have the first wedding song. In verse number 24, you have covenant. The two become one. The I now becomes we. You may not know this, but your Bible is divided into two sections. There's an Old Testament. There's a New Testament. The word testament means covenant. God made a covenant with man. We see it in Abraham, we see it with Moses, we see this covenant again and again. By the way, in, in Bible times, that's how arrangements were made. You would actually make a If David Cagle and I, if I were to sell him a piece of property, uh, there was some kind of business deal, we would cut a covenant. Today, what do we do? We sign a contract. In Bible times, you would cut a covenant. And the reason it was called the cutting of a covenant is because there was cutting involved. In fact, this is what a covenant would look like in biblical times, not only with men among themselves, but God with man. But this is what the covenant looked like, the cutting of a covenant. If David Cagle and I were to cut a covenant, we would literally, let's say there would be, depending on the type of covenant it would be, but there would be the shedding of blood. There would be a lamb. There would be a calf. It depends on the covenant. It may be numerous animals. But you would take that animal or those animals, pay attention, and you would cut it in half right down the middle. And you would take that animal and you would take half of it and you would lay on one side. You would take the other half of that animal and you would lay it on the other side. Again, some covenants involved many sacrifices. And so these animals would be placed and then in the middle, between the sacrificed animals, there would be a, a walkway. It was considered that, that, that walkway that was holy. There was a holy place because of the shedding of blood, the, the life that represented there. And so David and I would meet in the middle on that holy ground. 
And of, according to the terms of that covenant, we would speak them to one another. I would speak a vow, he would speak a vow, and then guess what would happen? There would be the cutting of the hands. And we would lock hands together. The, the mingling of the blood. So that, listen, upon my life, I will keep this covenant. What is mine is yours. What is yours is mine. Possessions and protection. From here on, I am your covenant brother. You are never by yourself. You ever need me, I'm there. What's mine is yours. A pledging, a cutting, a covenant for the rest of our days, for the rest of our life. Now, we see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see this covenant that God made with man, and it involved the same elements. We have this Old Testament, this Old Covenant, and then we have a new covenant in Christ. But here's what you may not see or may not really ever realize. But in a traditional Christian marriage, we see all of these beautiful pictures of covenant because that's what God intended. For example... There's, first of all, just the commitment. Till death do us part, right? This commitment. We see that in the marriage. By the way, you, you know this. If, surely you've been to a, a Christian wedding. And so let's think about not only this first marriage, but this first wedding, is that when you enter into, uh, when you go into a wedding, you're usually ushered, right? Two halves. There's the groom's side, and then there's the bride's side. Why is there this separation, right? Because there's the dividing. There's this aisle. There's this aisle. There's the separating, representing life and witnesses. And, and, and this, this center aisle is, is holy. As a matter of fact, many weddings that I do, especially those that are on the more traditional end, they actually roll out. Uh, a, a white fabric. Why white? Because this is holy. Here's what's interesting. In a traditional Christian marriage, the groom enters first. Why is that? Because he initiated the covenant. He asked for her hand in marriage. Now, in a marriage, pay attention. In a marriage, Things start going sideways, start things going south. It may not be the man's fault, but he is responsible. So the groom enters first. There's this commitment, right? But then there's also this ceremony, the ceremony of it. The, the, the father, right, ushers in the bride. So you not only see this picture of, of commitment till death do us part, but you see this ceremony of it. You see the, the exchanging of the vows, right? The exchanging of the vows, this is ceremonial. We know that, for example, in this covenant, Moses would require the people to speak aloud to God the covenant that people were making with him. So there's the exchanging of the vows. There's this spoken ceremony and commitment. There is the, you know this, the exchanging of the rings, right? The ring is placed what? On the, on the left hand. 
traditionally, there was this belief that there was a, a nerve that, that, that went from the ring finger to the heart. The ring is a symbol, a symbol of the, of the commitment, but also of the, uh, and what, what do they do? They hold their right hands. When I conduct a wedding, I said, now please join your right hands and repeat your wedding vows. Symbolically, two becoming one, the mingling of our lives together. There's the, there's the ring, one continuous circle, signifying that our covenant, our commitment is forever, for all of eternity. So we see this beautiful picture of commitment and ceremony, and then, of course, the celebration. See, in, in biblical times, if David Cagle and I made a covenant, if we cut a covenant, after we exchanged these vows, the, the mingling of the blood, the commitment to one another, there would be a celebration meal. It would involve bread, and it would involve wine. The, the, the bread representing the body, the life. The, the wine representing the blood of the grapes. Jesus, the Last Supper, initiating, introducing the new covenant with the bread and the blood. In, in, in weddings, there's the celebration, right? There's the taking of the cake, right? Bread, body, our bodies coming together, and then, you know, generally, traditionally, even a wine. The body and the blood. We see this beautiful picture of covenant. That's what God outlined. That's what God created. And then there is the consummation in which the marriage is, is consummated as the two become one. I become we. Two independent lives now interdependent. Here's what I want you to know about covenant very quickly. Covenant. Covenant is serious. We're witnessing it. When you attend a wedding, you are a witness to the covenant this couple is making before God. And you need to know that God takes it serious. Covenant is serious. Covenant is sacred. It's holy. It's soulish. Because it involves total surrender. There was this, I call it a, a mystical merging of the two. So here's what you and I see in Genesis chapter 2. We see the first marriage, we see the first wedding, but then as you move into Genesis chapter 3, you see the first separation. The first separation. I, I, when it comes to Adam and Eve, what's very clear as you read and study Scripture there, they went through two different seasons. There was a season of intimacy in which we read about in chapter number two. I mean, they are transparent. They're, they are united. They are one flesh. They are one together. But then in chapter number three, we read about the sin. And it says this in chapter three, verse number seven. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig, fig leaves together, and they made themselves loincloths. Now listen to this. Pay attention. Two seasons in the life and the marriage of Adam and Eve. There's the season of intimacy, and then there's the season of enmity. Enmity. 
the intimacy means oneness, transparency, joined together. Enmity means division, separation. I call it B.C. and A.D., right? The season of intimacy for Adam and Eve, B.C., before clothes. And then there's A.D., and that's after they're dressed, right? So there's two seasons in the marriage of Adam and Eve, a season of intimacy, B.C., and then a season of enmity, A.D., after they're dressed. It may be that what you see in the Scriptures, maybe you can relate to that. You know about those different seasons in your own marriage, in your own relationship. The same thing that happened in the garden happens today. Eve placed her love for Adam, replaced her love for Adam with her own selfish sins, her own selfishness. And Adam did the same. Adam replaced his love for Eve with his own selfish desires. Love looks out for the interest of the other person. Selfishness puts our own desires at the center. Listen to this. When selfishness replaces love, intimacy becomes impossible and enmity becomes inevitable. So listen to this. Selfishness always leads to sinfulness and selfishness uh, leads to sinfulness and and. And selfishness leads to separation. So that's why we don't draw close anymore. That's why we avoid one another. That's why we conceal. That's why we hide. Now what we've built up is a wall, all because of pride. And we don't pursue intimacy anymore. We stay disconnected. And we wallow in our own selfishness. And what do we do? We just add brick after brick after brick to the wall of our marriage, of our relationship, and the intimacy is no more. What's interesting when you think about this is that for Adam and Eve, when their intimacy with God ceased, at the same moment, their intimacy with one another ceased. Did you notice that? When they, when they looked at that apple, which is a symbol of selfish desires, and made that the emphasis, made that the priority, then you see this, this breakdown of their relationship. Everything changed. And what it tells me is that in our marriage, everything flows from our intimacy with God. And I know that you've seen this before, but I want us to put on the screen the marriage triangle. We have God at the top, the husband and the wife, they are to pursue God. First and foremost, intimacy. Intimacy in our marriage overflows from our intimacy with God. So how do we, how do we, how do we move from enmity to intimacy? Well, we're pursuing God first and foremost. We're pursuing love with our spouse. Listen to this statement. The path that leads to the intimacy is the path back to love. Let me make that statement again. The path that leads to intimacy is the path back to love. It takes work. Here's a couple of scriptures. You ready? First of all, Ephesians chapter 5. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Titus chapter 2, older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, slaves to much wine. They're to teach what is good. And so train the young women to love their husbands and children. So we are commanded over and over again to basically, listen, husbands, love your wives. Wives, love your husbands. And it takes work. And it doesn't just happen. But know this, God never, God never commands you to do anything that he doesn't empower you to do it. He gives you the power. So if he says, husband, love your wives, he'll give you the power to do it. Wives, love your husbands. He'll give you the power to do it. So the path that leads to intimacy is the path back to love. Number two, the path back to intimacy begins with our willingness to confess our own selfishness. To be honest. To be transparent. So what do we need to do? Two things very quickly. Write this down. Number one, ask for mercy and forgiveness. Ask for mercy and ask for forgiveness. And number two, by intentionally drawing close intentionally drawing close. Over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about some principles. We're going to talk about some patterns for this covenant marriage, relationship goals. We need to confess our own selfishness. We need to step aside. We need to become more selfless, looking for ways to to place the other person first as a priority. We need to pursue love. There's a, there's a Bible word, um, pursuing um, a dwelling. Uh, Jesus gives us this great example. The Bible says in John's Gospel, speaking of Jesus, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word dwelt means to pitch a tent. Jesus left heaven, came to this earth, and the Bible says, watch this, he pitched a tent to be with us. Here's the picture in Scripture. We're to pitch a tent with our spouse. We're to set up a dwelling. We're to pursue love. We're to pursue intimacy. And I believe in our marriage relationships, we are either removing that wall brick by brick. If there's been a wound, if there's been damage, we're either removing bricks or we're placing bricks. What we want to do is tear down the wall and build a bridge. Now, here's what you would say. Pastor, you mean if I just simply do that, if I finally confess my faults, my sins, my guilt ask for forgiveness and mercy, start pitching my tent, pursuing love, pursuing intimacy, that'll solve it, that'll solve the damage, that'll fix it. It will, but probably not quickly. Depending on the wounds, depending on the damage, watch this, could take years. Could take years. It just doesn't happen like that. But we're taking steps 
to tear down the wall brick by brick and brick by brick building a bridge. And for some, it takes time. But be willing to do it. And we're here to help you. Let's pray together. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. Let me just pray for us. The worship team's going to come. And um, let me invite you to do something today, just as we begin this teaching series. Let me, let me first of all, just encourage the husbands in the room this morning. Just as I pray for us now, guys, if you can, why don't you just reach over and take your wife by the hand. Just take your wife by the hand. I want to pray a blessing. And there may be some of you that might would be willing this morning to have one of our pastors pray over you. Now, I'm going to pray for you. But then we're going to stand and we're going to worship. And, and I want to encourage you, perhaps. Maybe during this invitation time or maybe right after the service. Maybe have Pastor, Pastor David. Maybe just pray. Pray for your marriage, your family, your relationship. I want to encourage you to to come the next few weeks as we just kind of break down what this, what this covenant marriage, what it looks like so we can better know how to pursue it in our own lives. For some here, there's been a wound. There's been a, a wall built. I'm going to tell you what I know. I'm going to tell you what I believe. I believe that with God's power and God's help, those walls can be those walls can be torn down and a bridge can be built of healing uh, let me just pray for you then we're going to worship together give you an opportunity to respond publicly whether it's to be baptized or join the church or, or just have someone pray with you or for you Heavenly Father in this room this morning there are a lot of marriages represented and we have some husbands here without their wives. We have some wives here without their husbands. We have some folks here who, who want to be married. We have some couples in here that are engaged. We have some couples here that have been married many, many years. Some newlyweds. But I pray first for the men that they would lead they would be the first to say, I'm sorry. Forgive me. They would be the first to pitch their tent in pursuing love and intimacy. I pray for the wives here. Give them strength. Give them grace. Give us all as couples, give us all the power that is needed to pitch our tents, to pursue selflessness and love and intimacy. So God, do what only you can do as we do what we can do. And I pray it in Jesus' name.